The biographical details of our guest preacher this morning are printed on the front of your worship folder. And when you take a quick read at them, you will understand immediately that he is an extraordinary individual, highly accomplished, with a scholarly mind, yet a preaching style and exegesis of Scripture that is warm and accessible. He has served the United States Navy as chaplain for over 27 years, retiring as a rear admirable, admiral and chief of chaplains. If that wasn't enough, he then went on to serve the United States Senate as their 62nd chaplain and will celebrate being 20 years in the Senate this summer. Please give a very warm welcome to Dr. Barry Black. I appreciate that introduction by my new best friend, uh, Dr. Gibbons, and my second new best friend, his lovely wife, Ruth. And uh, he has just uh, been probably someone with a gift of hospitality, the two of them, that is amazing and laudable. Uh, you have an exceptional shepherd, and I thank you and Ruth for your blessing me in this way. I am grateful that my senator is here, Senator Lindsey Graham. He comes to our prayer breakfast. He uh, has quite an interesting story about his faith pilgrimage, has presented at our prayer breakfast, and to take the time out of his amazing schedule uh, to be here and not just hit and run. You know, some will hit and run, which is illegal, by the way. Uh, but he actually will sit through the service. That's quite laudable as well. Thank you so much, Senator. And so that you will know that God does indeed answer prayer, I'm going to ask my wife to stand. She is an answer to prayer. Brenda, uh, when you pray for wisdom, that's what you get. All righty. I want to talk today about seeing the invisible and doing the impossible. My mother is a, uh, was a South Carolinian. She grew up in Hartsville, South Carolina, and migrated to Baltimore. She was having some challenges financially. Uh, she had three children and was pregnant with a fourth and was trying to make her way in this difficult and challenging inner city. Someone, uh, rather brave I think, put an evangelistic handbill in her mailbox. The, the title of the evangelistic uh, 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 sermon that was going to introduce this series of sermons was the day money will be thrown in the streets of Baltimore, Maryland, and no one will stop to pick it up. Well, that grabbed my mother's attention immediately. She said, I am going to that service. No matter what happens, I will go to that service. I'm not going to stay for the entire service. I have two questions that I want answered. When will the money be thrown? That's the first. 
where will the money be thrown? As soon as the preacher gives that information, see you, don't want to be you, I am out of there. Well, you know how these sneaky preachers will do it. That was bait, fishers of men, okay? And she came and fell in love with Jesus Christ. She was baptized 12 weeks later. They had long evangelistic meetings back in the day. 12 weeks later in a tent. It was a tent meeting in Baltimore. And as she, as we say in my tradition, entered the watery grave of baptism, she was immersed. She asked for the Holy Spirit to place a special anointing on her unborn child. She had heard the pastor preach about Jeremiah 1.5 where God had said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and set you apart to be a prophet to the nation. And, and she, she prayed for that unborn child. And I was that unborn child who was born one month after her baptism. She attempted then to inoculate me and uh, later my four siblings against the toxic pathology of the inner city by providing monetary incentives for Bible memorization. Five cents a verse. Now, you young people may not think that that's very much, but back in the day, five cents was big money. You could buy the big Snickers bar for five cents, okay? You could get, you may not know this, a sugar daddy. Oh, the sugar daddies, praise the Lord. You could get a, the big sugar daddy for five cents. You could get the gigantic baby roof. Wow. For five cents. And I'm dating myself, but uh, gasoline was 17 cents a gallon. Oh, God, bring back those days. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. My siblings and I know nearly, this is not hyperbolic, nearly every short verse in the entire Bible. If it's five words or less, we know it, okay? My favorite Bible verse is not John 3.16. It is uh, John 11.35, Jesus wept. A powerful verse, a powerful, <laughs> powerful verse. I love that verse. It just vivifying. Also got me a big baby root. But that, that, that is a blessing, okay? My mother was a domestic, the help. She was a maid. And one day, the lady for whom she worked, she gave my mother a record. We'll explain to the young people later what a record is. But she gave to my mother a record. And my mother brought the record home. It was the only record she had ever been given. She put it on this little old cardboard, almost cardboard-like record player. We'll explain that to you. We have museums in Washington with record players. Okay? And it was moving around and around and around. And when my siblings 
heard that it was not music, it was a narration record, they just left. But I continued to listen because I was fascinated that this man had an accent that I'd never heard before and he was certainly not from my neighborhood. The record played, my morning sun had been up for some hours over the city of David. Pilgrims and visitors were pouring in through the gates, mingling with merchants from villages round about. Shepherds were coming down from the hills, and the narrow streets were crowded. I said, he's not from around here, is he? That <laughs> were the aged stooped with years, muttering to themselves as they push through the throng. There were children playing in the streets, calling to each other, in shrilled voices. Wow, this is different, this is different. Played it over and over and over. There are those cutting burdens, baskets of vegetables, cask of wine, water bags. There are tradesmen with their tools. Here, a donkey stood sleepily beneath his burden in the sunlight, and there under the narrow canopy, a merchant shouted his wares from a pavement stall. It was not easy to make one's way through the crowd, but it was especially difficult for a procession that had started out from the governor's palace. At its head rode a Roman centurion, disdainful and aloof, scornful alike of child or cripple who might be in his way, his lips curled in thin lines of contempt as he watched through half-shut eyes the jeering, shouting mob. Over and over and over, I played that record until I had memorized the sermon. It was the sermon of Peter Marshall, the 57th chaplain of the United States Senate. And there in the toxic pathology of the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland, there was a little child, African-American, playing this record over and over again because he had a mother who gave him a monetary incentive to love the Word of God and who had prayed that God would do something special with his life. He had a mother who kept her eyes on an invisible world that I did not know at that time, but was being introduced to. You see, my mother lived by faith. And faith involves invisibility. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Can you finish the rest for me? The evidence of what? Things not seen. When you live by faith, as I know you have, you, this church has been around for a long time, happy 175. When you live by faith, you see the invisible. It is critical that we see the invisible because it is the way we please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God 
But those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so in our scripture lesson, it says, Hebrews 11, uh, beginning with verse 23, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. It was by faith. In other words, they were seeing the invisible. They saw that God had given Moses him and, and uh, uh, given the parents an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Tradition has it that Moses was one of the most beautiful babies that ever lived, that was ever born. Moses would make the, the, the Gerber baby look like physically challenged. I mean, that, 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 that's how beautiful Moses was. No wonder Pharaoh's daughter was moved by this beautiful child when she opened up that ark of bulrushes. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying, this may shock some of you, spoiler alert, the fleeting pleasures of sin, okay? The pleasures of sin are fleeting. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. A pharaoh was, on, was considered a deity, okay? A pharaoh is God. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Ah, Christ. Than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Praise God. It was by faith the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. We'll stop right there. Are you keeping your eyes on the one who is invisible? Are you trusting the one who is invisible. One of the senators who comes to uh, the prayer breakfast each week uh, was wrestling with whether or not to run for re-election. He had run two terms, do I run for re-election? I don't know, I don't know, I know. So he started praying. Well, the very fact that you are praying, you are trusting someone who is invisible. And he started praying and Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 popped into his spirit. To everything there's a season, a time and a purpose for everything done under the heavens. And the senator said, well, maybe God is telling me that my season here on Capitol Hill is over. But then he kept on praying, seeing the one who was invisible. And another, a, a competing verse popped into his spirit. Galatians 6, 9. Do not become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. The senator went to his wife and said, 
sweetheart, I've been praying, and, and I thought that I knew what I was going to do about this re-election thing. I, I, I thought my season was over, but now God is telling me that I do harvest, that harvest that is due, and maybe it's my weariness and, and trying to do what is right that is keeping me keeping me from running re-election. And his wife said to him, maybe you need to sleep on that a few more weeks before you make a decision. <laughs> she was leaning one way, but they made the decision. Unfortunately, that senator ran for re-election and he won. But I believe one of the reasons why he won, number one, is because there are saints in Caesar's household, Philippians 4.27. There are Lawmakers who possess a spirituality that dwarfs mine. That's not exaggeration. The, 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 there, is, there, is, there, there is a senator who missed one Bible study. I teach a Thursday Bible study. One Bible study in 20 years. I, a little judicious self-disclosure, that would not have been my record. I don't care who was teaching the Bible. You know, Peter, Paul, I, I, I'm sorry. This, I, I got a little schedule conflict there. Okay. And these lawmakers are keeping their eyes on the one who is invisible. And so in this story of Moses, I see some steps that we can take if we're going to keep our eyes on the one who is invisible. One of the interesting parts about this story is his parents' faith transmitted to Moses. The first step is stand on the promises of your God. There's a Bible verse in Genesis 15 that lets us know that the life of Moses' parents and Moses, that life was rooted in a promise from God that he gave, he gave to Abraham many years before. I don't know if I, I got that one on. I'll have to read it myself if necessary. Genesis 15. There we go. There we go. This is amazing here. Magically. Here, it's here. Then the Lord said to Abram, this is the promise that you can be sure. This is Abraham. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. This is all the way back in the book of Genesis. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. Okay? I'm not going to talk about reparation. But great wealth. As for you... You will die. What a way to go. You will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. Praise the Lord. Okay. After four generations, this is God, the, the one who is invisible, giving Abram a, a picture of what is going to happen in the future. And Bible prophecies do that for us. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. There is an invisible power in our world. And as you look forward to what year 176 will look like, as you look forward, if God delays his coming, to what year 200 will look like or whatever it may be, 
Trust the one who is invisible. Rest on the promises of the one who is invisible. Oh, he has a promise that I love. In Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his celestial riches. He has a promise that I stand on in the 84th Psalm, verse 11. I love this. No good thing will God withhold from the upright. He has a promise in Isaiah 54.17, no weapon formed against you, can you finish it for me? Will be able to prosper. The weapon will be formed. The weapon may come against you, but it will not prosper. Imagine Abraham passing this prophecy, this promise on. Imagine Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses, saying, to themselves, we're not going to destroy this child. Even though Pharaoh is practicing this genocide, they rested their faith as we should do on the promises of God. There's a second step if you are, are seeing the one who is invisible, and that is to wait on your God's timing. When Moses is born, he is supposed to die. His parents keep him for three months, as long as they could. There are some problems as you move ahead in this great church that you may not be able to solve, but you can manage them. So they manage for as long as they can. But then, you know, three months old, that's a pretty strong voice there, you know. And so they make an arc of bulrushes and places Moses out on the liquid bosom of the Nile. And Miriam is in the bushes watching. Faith without works is dead. Humanity cooperates with divinity. And when Pharaoh's daughter comes, and tradition has it that she could not have children, there's a tradition in the Torah that says that an angel pinched Moses to, and, and to get him to cry. And when she opens up that, she opens up that ark of bulrushes, she sees the most beautiful baby she has ever seen in her life. And Miriam steps out for she sees the one who is invisible and she knows about the prophecies of their liberation and she steps out and God has a sense of humor because he takes the child that was supposed to die and permits Pharaoh to finance the, the child care of Moses so that Moses' mother and father end up rearing him. And then Pharaoh even pays for Moses' education so that he is one of the brightest stars in Egypt. That's the kind of mighty God you serve and you can stand on his promises. But trust also the step. Trust the, 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 the redemptive providence of God. I love that last verse 
that it says it was by faith, verse 28 of, of Hebrews, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn. And that blood is still the most important thing in our salvation. It is the blood that enables us to live in the condemnation-free zone of Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is the blood that saves us. It is the blood that enables our Savior to say, no one, John chapter 10, will be able to snatch you out of my hand. It is the blood that will give you peace, no matter what is going on in the world, because peace was one of the final gifts our God gave to us, our Savior gave to us, peace I leave with you, he says in John 14, 27. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. As I was given the tour by Dr. Givens around this amazing church and this, this, the, the, the facility is just absolutely awesome, I found myself thinking, Wow, so much has been accomplished in 175 years. And I found myself thinking also, there's not anything else these folk have to do. My goodness, they seem to have been able to do it all by the grace of God. And I praise God for what you have accomplished. But I also challenge you that if you, if you, Keep your eyes on the one who is invisible. You can do the impossible. I quoted George Bernard Shaw in the earlier service. George Bernard Shaw is said to have, said, is, is said to have made the statement, some people see things that are and ask why I dream that, that are not and ask why not. I challenge you in the days to come to dream things that are not and ask, why not? Moses is one of the few people in all of the scriptures to do the impossible of being in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I found it interesting that the writer of Hebrews uses the word he, he, he was sought the Christ. Okay? The, he, he, he was thinking about that Messiah. He was thinking about the promises that he, were, he had been taught. And in Matthew chapter 17, our Lord, his soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. He is on his way to the cross. And he, Peter, James, and John, they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God does the impossible. He sends Moses and Elijah to encourage our Savior. You can do this, Jesus. 
You, 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 hang in there, master. It's going to be all right, master. Peter wakes up and sees all of this stuff and says, let's build three tabernacles here. Well, you, you know, and the Bible says he said that because he didn't know what to say. I resemble that remark. Okay, praise God. Our God wants to do more, yes, even for First Presbyterian. And his promise is, Ephesians 3.20, he wants to do immeasurably, abundantly, above all that you can ask or imagine according to his power working in and through you. So this is what I want to challenge you to do on this 175th anniversary. I want you to, to see the invisible one by faith, and I want you to Google the promises of God. You'll get more websites than you can count. And I want you to choose at least three promises of, that you want to claim for the future of this church. Okay? In other words, you're going to get on God's wavelength. Uh, three promises okay, from God that you can claim for First Presbyterian going forward. And I believe with this wonderful assembly of saints of the living God, as much as God has already accomplished in a hundred and 75 years, there are surprises. I am claiming for you that promise that he will do more than you can ask or imagine. And that you will discover like the wine at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee, God has saved for First Presbyterian wine for last he will surprise you if you by faith see the invisible yeah, the substance of things not seen God will do for you the impossible now I'm going to put you on the spot here because Chaplain needs a little encouragement as he prepares to go back to Washington, D.C. Okay. First thing I want to know is, can I take you downtown with me as I go back? Is that, is that, can, but, but the second, uh, I want, if you are willing to make that commitment, by the grace of God, I'm going to find three promises, write them down, that I want to claim for this great church going forward. And, and, and God will surprise you with some of the things that he, he will promise. But Google them. There are hundreds of them. I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If you're willing to make that, make that commitment, I'm going to find at least three promises. Oh, praise God. Praise God, Pastor. That's what, and would you hold them there so that I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, 
you see these beautiful uplifted hands of people who by faith see the one who is invisible, who has given us according to Second Peter 1 for exceedingly great and precious promises. They are making a commitment to find some of those great and precious promises and claim at least three for the future of this great church. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer, for we pray it in that name that is above every name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Dr. Black, thank you for sharing a little of your own story today.